if you guys hear what Steve said, is that we are uh, $23 short last year. So it's close. I wish I even just put the need before us all, and then we could have figured out $23 amongst us. But it's always next year. <laughs> Happy New Year's, everyone. My name is Dan Mike. I'm one of the pastors serving here, uh, spe specifically availing myself to young adults and college students. We have a couple of events throughout the week, uh, trying to be thoughtful and uh, to be helpful when it comes to growing and fostering a healthy spirituality. Um, and so if you want to participate in any of those, you can find the details online or introduce yourself to me afterwards uh, or, after, you know, while I'm not talking in front of everyone. Um, but yeah, it's up to you. I, uh, I've been asked to share the sermon this morning, so um, I'm going to start there. But if you're new to Crossroads, just want to reiterate something. Um, we love to study the Bible here. We really get into it. It's, I mean, we dig in, and it's long. And sometimes it's complicated, and it's in the Old Testament, so, you know, and, and why do we do this? We love the gospel message. We love seeing the heart of God unfold and be woven throughout all of the scriptures. It teaches us about how he feels about us. It teaches us about how to, uh, a path that leads to wholeness and peace and life. And the more we orient our thinking around that, our lives around that, it will be better at displaying that message uh, to our sphere of influence. And so... We just love to read the Bible together and study it to that end. Not trying to get puffed up with knowledge, but to get built up with the love of God. Just a little commercial, starting next week, we're going to be studying something uh, called the Minor Prophets. If that sounds a little daunting or intimidating to you, uh, let me just give you a little bit of how I view this. Minor, not in uh, importance, but in length. So if you are, have a short attention span and can't get through the big, like Isaiah and all that, this is a gift to you. <laughs> the prophets in the Bible are your friends. This is a misunderstanding. They're your friends. They're the kind of friends who won't just tell you what you want to hear, they'll tell you what you need to hear. Your favorite pair of blue jeans might not fit you anymore. And if you can't pull it off, you need a friend to tell you this and to just be that, you know, and it's not going to be easy to hear, but it's what you need to hear. Almost all of these guys were killed for the message that they gave because guess what? 90% of the prophetic literature is a critique of people who have money, people who have power, and people who are uh, the religious elites. They're not in it for a high five. They're not in it for the hallelujah, amen. They're in this to, because they believe that deep down, they believe that inside of all of us, we know better. There's an angel in the book of Revelation that says to John, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. 
Deep down inside of the believer, there's a testimony that even in a person who doesn't believe, there can be a testimony. And the prophet wants to speak that out, especially when that message is being trivialized because of inconsistent living or because of laziness or because of whatever. The prophet speaks into those deep places and says, you know better. It calls us up. It's not easy to sit at their feet, but we're going to take a season and try and learn from them as best we can. And so it's something to look forward to. I will not be doing that this week, though. I will be speaking about a prophet, but uh, it's, it's going to be a little different. So please turn to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 34, if you will, the last chapter of the Torah. And you say, okay, Dan, what happened to Numbers? This is the, uh, this can be the last message in that whole group of the, the book of Numbers. And I just want to kind of tell you where I'm at with that. When I was asked to share the last sermon on this series, I thought, we haven't really been giving a comprehensive study of the book of Numbers. We've been, we've been observing and learning from people who were in the wilderness, in this season in the wilderness. That narrative goes from Exodus all the way to the beginning of Joshua. And as we've been learning from this, the main character has been Moses. So I would like to think out loud and, and, you know, I have prepared some thoughts and challenges about who Moses ends up being. And what I love to see here, just as a, just let me just introduce a quick book of Deuteronomy if you're not familiar with it. What I love to see here is this book is called The Words of Moses. Okay, in Hebrew, the, the title of the book is Devarim. That's the first line of this book. These are the words, the Devarim of Moses. This chapter that we're going to read, we see Moses ending his journey, his saga, this time in the wilderness, on a mountain, alone with God. That is kind of fitting. This whole thing started with Moses alone on a mountain with God. He saw the bush, he heard the voice. You know, Moses said to that voice coming out of the burning bush, I can't do this. I can't speak good. I don't have, I don't have the words. And the Lord said to him, I will give you the words. I, I made man's mouth. I will give you the words to speak. I'll give you companion. I'll help you. And what we see is this vulnerable place gets, gets lifted up throughout this, the rest of the story where Moses just steps into this mission. And I think that that sums up a lot of what the wilderness is about. It's not about strengths. I always thought that when I give my life to the Lord, what I gotta give to him is my gift, give him my strength, give him my thing that I'm strong at. But what I see here is, is God's drawing people out of strength and into a place of vulnerability where people are moldable, pliable, and able to be uh, used in a different way that, that uh, amplifies who God is. We give God our weakness. His strength is made perfect. And wouldn't you know it that this man's voice, that this weakness that he has is being used even all the way to the end of this journey where he has this whole letter called the words of Moses. 
And in this letter, there's three speeches that are given over the course of the last month of Israel being in the wilderness. He reiterates to now the second generation of the Israelites in the wilderness um, the Ten Commandments. He then also, it, he also uh, comes up with what Judaism or what Jesus calls the greatest commandment, the Shema. Throughout all of this passionate, uh, all these passionate speeches, he carries with him, I think, this reality that these words are not his words. He says in Deuteronomy, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And I think he knows that. I think he knows that deep down. He carries it with him. So, why am I talking about the weakness being made strong? Well, I will, uh, I'll explain after I read this because I'm already talking too much. So Deuteronomy 34, I'm very excited to share from this. So if you're able to stand, I'll read this um, passage of scripture. Deuteronomy 34 and verse 1. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah. Cross Jericho. The Lord showed him the whole land. From Gilead to Dan, way over Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, way down south, the land of Judah, as far as the Mediterranean Sea, way down to the Negev, the desert. The whole region in between in the valley of Jericho, the, the city of Palms, all the way to Zor. Then the Lord said to him, this is the land I promised in oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab in the valley opposite of Beth Peor. But to this day, nobody knows where his grave is. So Moses was 120 years old when he died. Yet his eyes were not weak, and his strength was not gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the, Holy, with the spirit of wisdom because Moses laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has arisen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do, that the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and his officials, and to the whole land. No one has ever seen, uh, shown them as the mighty power performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of Israel. These are the words of God. Amen. There's a strong Jewish tradition that the uh, last words of the Torah are read, the congregation would say in Hebrew, Hazak, Hazak, Venit, Hasek, which means be strong, be strong, let us be strengthened. Now, I know that not everybody, well, maybe everybody, okay, maybe just me is into Hebrew. But I'll meet you halfway. Let's get a little uh, rowdy here, and I'd love to hear just the first two words of that sentence, Hazak, Hazak, chanted uh, one time. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, sorry. No, I see, I was going to say on three. I was going to say on three. Okay. On three. One, two, three. Hazak, hazak. Be strong. We're talking about weakness, and now we're talking about strength. What's going on here? I'll have you right where I want you. Um, I think what I, what I have on my heart to share with you this morning is, um, is about servanthood. I think that the thing that God is shaping Moses and shaping Israel in this period of vulnerability and weakness is to be really good servants. I think his aim is to serve the rest of the world, to be a blessing to the rest of the world. And I think the strength of the Christian, the strength of the believer is measured by servanthood. So what are some ways that we can start to evaluate where we're at as far as being servants. Where am I getting this from? Well, I'm getting it from Moses. In a lot of the literature that I read, um, especially in the Jewish theological realm, they reference Moses, and you can, I mean, you'll probably see this in your comings and goings, but pretty much always in Hebrew as Moshe Rabbeinu. It's kind of his thing. That's what, they, that's what they say. Okay, Moshe Rabbeinu. This is who he is. Moshe is the Hebrew word for Moses. Rabbeinu means our great one, our rabbi, our teacher. He is a great one. He's the greatest there was in the whole story. I mean, put one character in the rest of the Hebrew Bible up against Moses. It's not even close. Moses is our great one. The things he did, leading him out, I mean, the, the courage that it took, and the sacrifice that he made, and the signs and wonders, and the thing, I mean, it's just crazy. And now, at the end of his life, he could be crowned by any term, by any title. He could be spoken of in, in a way. Is there some sort of word or phrase that we could think of that would, that would signify who he meant and who, who he really is. And verse 5 does not read, and then Moses, our great one, died. It says Moses, the servant of the Lord, died. The Lord even calls him this a handful of times we've already seen in Numbers, and even if you can see from Right there on the page, Joshua verse two, Joshua one verse two, the, the voice of the Lord comes to Joshua and he says, my servant Moses is dead. I'm reading this and I'm thinking, okay. At the end of our life, if God's gonna write your obituary, would you be all right with the title, the servant of the Lord? Are we at a place where we in the West have become so self-absorbed or so, you know, just trying to build ourselves up so much that we are unable that, to look at that and respect that title? I think that this would be an honor. The servant of the Lord 
What are some things that I'm thinking through about uh, being a servant? Oh, I better start my timer. What are some things about being a servant that, that I can see from here? Okay, well, go with me. You want to be a good servant, number one, you have to figure out how to be selfless. It's pretty much a prerequisite, I think. What do you guys think about verse 1 through 4? When you, when you hear me reading this about Moses going up to the mountain and being shown the promised land, uh, and the Lord's being like, there it is. It's just that far. Just real close. I can't think of a worse way to end his story. That's why I say that. What are you doing? What kind of sick punishment is this? He's been spending all this time trying to get to the promised land. He does one thing wrong, and now he just gets and. He just gets to be shown it. I mean, I ordered something on Amazon recently. I think, I can't remember. I think it was a dog whistle. And I remember, I was looking on the app and I, could, I, I saw something I've never seen before. You can see where your parcel is. Because I knew it was supposed to be coming that, that day. And it's like up the street. I live on West River Drive. It's up the street. And it's at somebody else's house and it says, you are next. And I'm like, awesome, I keep refreshing. I'm doing nothing but refreshing. <laughs> All of a sudden, it's up Rogue River Drive. It's going the wrong way. I'm like, you, 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 you passed me. And then all of a sudden, it's back going the other direction. It says, could not find your house. <laughs> Going to have to figure this out later. And I'm like, what? I mean, okay, so this is an experience I had over the course of like an hour, and I'm mad. This guy is looking for 40 years at this. <laughs> How do you get to a place? He doesn't fight with God. He doesn't argue. He, doesn't, he just stands there. Does he enjoy it? Is this a gift or a curse? One of the enemies of being selfless that I can think of, that's a big one, is transactional patterns. If we're starting to do things very simply, like in our capitalistic society of just trying to get a cup of coffee, a transaction works really well. But when it comes to relationships, when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to loving another person, transactional patterns are toxic. When it comes to, you know, me and Charles, my wife, if I start making transactions with her and I start exchanging value for something else, guess who's always in the lead? I put all the deposits in, but she is the one who's taking all of the uh, withdrawals, according to my ledger. You know, it's, it's, it's always I'm in the lead. And making transactions leads to uh, an unhealthy relationship where I am the one who's saying, I deserve better. I deserve more. I deserve uh, something in response here. I mean, imagine if we start doing that with God. Start making a transaction, transaction with him where it's like, you know what? I have been this for you, so I deserve for you to do this for me. I have put so many deposits into this bank. Let me get a withdrawal here. If our relationship is transactional, I'm not going up the mountain. I'm not going to look. I don't, I mean, this is just cruel. Moses is at a point where he can actually say, if it's a win for them, it's a win for me. 
that selflessness, to be to a point where you can say, I'm not going to win if they're not going to win. And when you see somebody who's actually achieving a thing that you've been working really hard for them to achieve, and you can receive that as a win for you, it means you removed yourself, you removed your pride from that, uh, that scenario, that from that transaction, enough to love them, enough to say, I'm happy for you. I'm excited about this. A win for them is a win for me. Another thing that I think is an enemy of selflessness and ultimately of being a servant then is having a result-driven um, orientation. If, you're, if he's being destination-driven, this is a fail. And when, it, and when results and destinations are our biggest priority, then we can't wait, we can't have any patience anymore. I mean, tell me that that's not something that is just coursing through the veins of our culture. I need to get there as fast as possible. I need to get this instantly. I got a speeding ticket this week. Laugh it up. I took the ticket. I know I was speeding. I'm not going to argue. I love the police. This is great. Keep us all safe. I then, the next day, I'm driving down this road, Scribner, and it's 25 miles an hour, and I go, okay, I'm just going to try it. I get like a quarter mile down the road. I promise you, I, I can't breathe anymore. I, my body's shutting down. I can't. This is so slow. It's not. I can't do it. And I don't know, is it just that I want to race or is it that I am so obsessed with getting to the next thing and the, being at the next destination and, and producing the next result and this constant drive is coming out of my soul. We need instant coffee. We can't even talk to the barista anymore. We got a mobile order. You see people at Starbucks just walking in and walking out. Get that coffee fast. We need instant coffee. Messaging, did you, did you ever think that we'd get to a day where email is the new snail mail? <laughs> I think that it is. People regard this as a handwritten letter. If I get a personal email, I cherish it. <laughs> did you ever think that we'd get to a place where uh, we'd be so instant and destination-driven uh, that we'd come to this. I mean, it's more than just the, the you know, petty things of our life, but it's being destination-driven with intimacy in a marriage also can lead to uh, a great level of toxicity. Never going to be able to show somebody that you really love them if you're destination-driven in a relationship, or even just the idea of getting a relationship is the result and the destination that some of us are searching for. And that becomes selfish. That becomes a self-goal that's just not about anybody else. Think about career. When a, a promotion or, or the goal and getting that goal and promotion as fast as possible is the uh, direction or is the obsession, it's going to come at a cost of other people. Other people uh, are going to be pushed down as you are seeking or we are seeking to be pushed up. If Moses is destination-driven right now, this is a fail. There's no way that he's going to be able to, to, to see this as a win. But people who are selfless, 
have a pattern of something that is almost extinct in our culture. Incremental change. Belief in incremental change means that you believe in the domino effect, that you believe that even though you might not personally uh, benefit from your act of sacrifice, that it's still worth the sacrifice because of where this thing is going, because of what might happen in the next generation, because of what might happen through the next person who, take, who takes the torch after you. I was stunned by this movie, Rogue One. If you've ever seen it, it's one of the Star Wars movies. And I can't think of another, like, really relevant current example in pop culture of incremental change. But in that movie, all these people are just trying to, to move this uh, message forward. Let's call it the MacGuffin for those of you film uh, nerds out there. At all cost. They'll lose their lives trying to push this forward without seeing the actual personal benefit. I mean, think about how crazy that sounds with all of our other uh, cultural examples that tell us, no, you'll be able to get the benefit as well as do something difficult. You'll be able to have all the comfort in the end, have all the value, and do something hard. Well, that's not the way life is. We all are going to have a river that we can't cross someday. Do we believe enough in the cause that we're trying to uh, push forward, that we'd be willing to say, I have run my course. I don't consider my life of any value. The world has been crucified to me and I to it. The Christ now lives in me. I mean, are we at all able to say, I'm going to push them farther because I know that they're going to take it to the next level and I don't have to see any personal benefit for it. One of the fundamental things of Christianity is disadvantaging ourselves to advance somebody else. This is why Christ is trying to push into our hearts things like, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. 50 years ago, there's a guy named Martin Luther King. And as I was thinking of examples of somebody who really gets this, I was thinking of him. I was going to read a portion of one of his speeches to you. Then I found a, a, a YouTube clip of the video. It's only one minute long, but I'd just like to show it um, if you got it, if you got a second. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried. About anything, I'm not fearing 
any man, mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. That speech was given the night before he was murdered. Martin Luther King was a gift to this country. And a great example of somebody who believes in incremental change. Who believes that there's a greater cause out there than something that could just personally benefit me today. See, he sees the beauty of what Moses sees at this moment. It's not cruel. It's not cruel for God to go up there and, and, and speak to Moses in future terms and show him the wind. I mean, what, what, what is God pointing at? The land of Judah doesn't exist yet. They didn't have that. How is he pointing out Judah? He's pointing out the future. He's saying this is where they're going to be. This is a, they're going to win. It's going to happen. He's encouraging Moses. Say, it wasn't all for nothing, Moses. It's gift. Because Moses believes in incremental change, and he believes that it's a win for them, it's a win for him. He's able to, to experience this in a really sweet way. After it says, and then Moses died um, by the word of the Lord. If you look at the original language there, the word for word is not the Hebrew word for word. It's the word for mouth. And as I was researching kind of that, I, was, I, I came across a tradition um, where Jewish people referred to this as the kiss of God. And I just thought, what a beautiful thing to think about this guy being shown that, that his effort wasn't for nothing. And it's like God puts his arm around him and kisses him and says, well done, good and faithful servant. And buries him in an unmarked grave. This is selflessness. Second thing that I noticed in this, uh, in this passage tells me a little bit about servanthood is verse 7. When you think about that verse, Moses was 120 years old when he died. Sight. You know, he had good vision and he is still strong just as ever. It's kind of weird. 120 years old. He's in good shape. You ever think you're too old to serve the Lord? You ever think you're too old to get in the game? I don't know what age has to do with what. I think the older the fiddle, the sweeter the tune. A little old expression there. I, uh, I think that, you know, Michelangelo didn't paint the Sistine Chapel until he was 89 years old. Moses didn't even start this whole thing until he was 80 years old. And he changed the moral landscape of the world forever. He has been one of the most influential leaders after he was 80 years old. And what is this verse really saying to me? A servant has to figure out obedience. Because when I read a verse that says Moses was as healthy as ever, what I'm really seeing here is that Moses could have marched himself right down that mountain, swam across that river, and lived happily ever after in the promised land. 
What's stopping him? It's not because he's too old. It's not because he's not physically able to do it. Obedience is shown best in our lives when we have a choice, when we are able to do, uh, to do, to disobey. But Moses would rather obey God and fade off into the dust of Moab than to disobey God and live a life as you know they'd have made him king. You know that he would have had riches unbelievable that he would have had comfort for the rest, of his, the rest of his life in disobedience and rebellion. He said, I would rather obey and be buried in an unmarked grave than to disobey and dishonor God. Well, how do you do that? How do you get to that point? Well, I think that obedience works best when you have a really solid why. I grew up in the church, okay? I know this lesson more than anybody that it's, it doesn't really go that far to just obey arbitrarily. I didn't, when I read the Pilgrim's Progress, I did not get it. I did not have this journey of the city of destruction and all that. I was born in the celestial city, okay? Have you ever read the book, The Pilgrim's Regress by C.S. Lewis? This is my story. I mean, this is very, I love this book. This person is trying, it's an allegory as well, and this person's a uh, steward, and the steward is supposed to take care of this property for the landlord. And on the back of this list of things the steward is supposed to do, you know, one day he's like, I, I sometimes break some of those rules, but I can, you know. He flips the list over, and there's like this really small print, and it's all these other rules that he never knew that were on that thing. And, and it's stuff that he does constantly every day, and it drives him crazy that he can't keep up with this. Arbitrarily being ob obedient is... It doesn't really go very far when push comes to shove. Unless you have a rock solid why. See, I don't think that Moses' age has anything to do uh, per se with the fact that he is so passionate. I've seen young people who are passionate. I've also seen young people whose hearts are shriveled up like a raisin. I've seen old people who weren't passionate and older people who, I, who woke up every morning with a fire in their chest to do something. And you could take me to the cleaners for this, but I think that we're only as young as our ideals. I think that sometimes when we have that message inside of us, when we have some hope-filled belief that's fueling our actions, that we can be like Moses well on in years and have a passion for justice. His eyes were just as clear for justice as they were when he started this whole thing. Moses has a rock solid why to obey God and why to preach obedience because that's much better than just a reward. He's known for some time now that he's not gonna be, get the reward. He's not gonna go to the promised land, but he has a fundamental belief that God's way is the best way. That God's way, by obeying and following God, that this will lead to life. That this will lead to uh, people in this world being blessed and being set free. He is preaching this to them all the way to the end. Shema Israel. Love the Lord your God with everything you have. One of his final messages was... Uh, you're about to go into the promised land. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be harder than out here. because you Not because you're going to be poor, but because you're going to be rich. 
And you're going to forget. You, might get a, you need to be obedient. You need to remember who the Lord is, what he stands for. That's going to help you figure out how to live in a place where you're living in houses that you did not build and eating from gardens that you did not plant. He is constantly pushing the message into them, something that he believes so deeply. We have a big why. Because we have a big cause. Have you lost sight of the why behind how we're living for the Lord and the kingdom of God? It's partially why we come here on Sundays to get reoriented and to hear that the message of Christ is a message of resurrection and the world's message is one of death. We're constantly surrounded with negativity, with hopelessness, with cynicism, with bitterness. We start to fill our hearts up with that message. No matter the age, no matter the age, we're going to start looking. We're going to start looking like we're wrapping it up. We got nothing left to give. We got nothing left to live for. If you start, if you do what Moses did, and you start, and you fill your heart up with uh, the God of the fire by night and the cloud by day, the God who is coming to uh, bless this entire world, with the God who says that I have the power of resurrection in a world that's full of death. You start to orient your life around that, your finances, your marriage, your arguments, the things uh, that are small. You start to be somebody who's full of, of vibrance and vigor, just like Moses was. Your voice is not going to become all shriveled up and irrelevant no matter your age. Your voice is going to be a voice that's crisp and crystal clear and like Moses' was then and now, thousands of years later. I don't know if any of you watched this, but a few years ago, I remember I was watching this speech by the Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu. We call him BB for short. You guys know who it is. Okay. He was speaking at the Capitol, all right, uh, the House of Representatives. And you know what that room looks like? It's sort of a circle. At the end of his speech, he did something that I had to really look into to figure out what he was doing. Apparently, I've never been in this building, but I've seen pictures of this. There are on the walls these pictures made of marble, okay? So it's kind of like a coin. It's the, the silhouette of somebody's face. And on this side of the wall, it's a silhouette, uh, you know, facing this way. And you've got like 11 of them. It's people like Thomas Jefferson, people like, uh, you know, Hammurabi, people that are um, law, like influential lawmakers in this world, right? Same thing on this side, but opposite. It's this side of their silhouette is going in this direction. You've got uh, Suleiman the Magnificent, Maimonides, and it's coming around. And then at the very end, there's a full face. It's the only one in the whole room. And you know whose face it is? Moses. It says right under, I don't know how they got a picture of Moses. It says right under... <laughs> Right underneath it's Moses, and he's looking straight at the speaker. And the prime minister of Israel, this is why I thought it was so cool, he goes through this full speech, and at the very end, he points up to that picture, and he says, my ancestor Moses led our people 
out of slavery and to the gates of the promised land. And he says, I will leave you with the words that he left our people while they went into the promised land. And he quoted a Hebrew. I thought it was so cool. And it's from Deuteronomy chapter 31, where Moses, in, in, in one of his final public speeches, he says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear them, neither dread them. For the Lord your God is with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Those words that Moses spoke because of where he was, physically healthy, but spiritually healthy, full of a passionate message, standing in an obedient place, are still echoing all throughout, you know, for thousands of years later. Obedience, coming from the right place, can go a long way for a servant of the Lord. The last thing I want to say is... Um, that a servant, as far as our tradition goes, always is going to be pointing to Christ. A servant, good servanthood in Christian faith, good strong sir, is going to be pointing to Christ. The reason why I say that is these last verses, 10 through uh, 12 here, where it talks about nobody else has ever been like Moses, whoever did all this stuff, uh, all these signs, all these wonders, this person, you know. It's not to brag. It's because, I think, in chapter 18, there is a prophecy that says, that the Lord says, don't worry, I will raise up another like unto Moses. I will raise up a prophet like Moses. Now, this expectation is they just imagine who Moses was to them. This is very good news. There's going to be another Moses, especially in such a uh, difficult histor history as Israel. You're looking for this guy around every corner. You're living in a time where Sennacherib or Tiglath-Pileser III or Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, you're waiting for the next Moses Rome comes in, and Rome is now, uh, you know, oppressing the people. And where is the next Moses? When John the Baptist comes on the scene, that's what they ask him. Are you the prophet? And finally, there actually is a guy who's a lot like Moses. There's a guy who was born, and as a baby, there was a tyrannical leader that tried to take his life. There was a guy who left uh, who left royalty in order to identify better with his people. There is a guy who actually was rejected the first time that he came, but will be accepted the second time he came. And after that, he will be leading a mass redemption. There is a guy who was a mediator of a new covenant and uh, inter interceded on behalf of his people between him and God. Well, why, didn't, why didn't Jesus... Why didn't Jesus just be exactly like Moses? Because we didn't need another Moses. We needed a better Moses. He took everything and took it farther because Moses is the servant of the Lord and he's just pointing to Christ. Christ is not a redundancy. Think about it. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 46, if you believed in Moses... You would believe in me, for he wrote of me. Was he talking about one verse in Deuteronomy 18? 
The whole story is vibrating from the inside out with the message of who Christ is. And he's not going to come and do something uh, just like Moses. He's going to do something greater than Moses. And he's going to explode the theme out, not just for one nation, but for everyone. Now think of, what, think of everything in the story that we've been learning. Jesus is the one who took the slaves out of slavery across an impossible, unbelievable parting of the Red Sea. Jesus is the manna that fell down from heaven, but not in like, just so you eat him, you live a little while longer. If you take him in, you live forever. Jesus is the greater manna, the greater water, the greater rock, the greater uh, covenant. Imagine hearing Moses fashion out that bronze serpent and walking around while all the people are dying of the venom, the poison in their veins, and hear his voice say, look, is he... He's not whispering this. Look, and you shall be saved. Christ is the greater serpent. Hear the voice of all the people of God now say to the world, look, and you'll be saved. Look, the venom will come out of you. He didn't just cure a physical venom. He cured a spiritual venom that goes way deeper. Moses was not just repeated because Moses can only get you so far. The law that Moses represents can only get you to the border of the promised land, but Christ can get you all the way. Christ is a Joshua that's gonna take people across the, into the land of promise and into a place of true rest. And as a good servant, all of us should be orienting ourselves around pointing to that reality. It's very tempting to become the Messiah of our lives when it comes to appointing people to, to life and using ourselves as examples and trying to, be, trying to measure up to that. But we want to talk about being a servant. We talk about pointing with everything we can to Christ. With every story that we have, there's a way that Christ is, can be seen in it. Are you with me? That's pretty much all I uh, thought to say this morning. So let's... Uh, Let's just pray for a little while and evaluate ourselves. See where the Holy Spirit is convicting you. You give that to him. Father in heaven, if there's any of us who have it on our heart right now to just to simplify our, our whole existence to being a, a group of people who are known as just the servants of the Lord, Inspire us to be able to pursue that in a way that's healthy and sustainable. Help us to, if there's any parts of our lives then that are, that are selfish and self-oriented, that we want to get out of there, just help us to learn the value of being selfless. You must become more and we must become less. Help us to do that in a real way. Where we're able to look at another person and uh, not have to benefit from our contribution to them, but to be able to look at another person or a people group and say, it's a win for you, it's a win for me. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to push you farther. I'm not going to use you. I'm going to push you farther. I'm going to believe in incremental change. I'm going to believe that the Lord's, uh, he who started a good work is going to bring it to completion. 
remove any pressure from our shoulders that says we have to be task oriented, result oriented, and we have to uh, see some sort of physical result in order to feel better about it. No, uh, give us the courage to just take one more step in faith and to enjoy the journey that we're on with you, regardless of destination. If there's any of us who are struggling with obedience and a why, give us, uh, fan the flame of the gift that you've put inside of all of our hearts of the message of resurrection, a message that's worth living in a life that's consistent with it. Uh, help us to, to obey because we love you so much. We love what you're doing in this world. We want to, we just want to live consistently with you. any of us, you know, we just look at our life and there's just not a lot of things pointing towards you or maybe there's one thing pointing towards you but everything's kind of pointing in different directions. Help us to, one by one, start to take every area of our life and serve you in it by pointing towards you. Pointing away from ourselves, away from our plan, away from our own uh, desire and towards you. Jesus, you're our champion. We love you so much. We just want to serve. Thank you for everything you've done for us. Say hi to Moses. Mm -hmm.